This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We are back for a jam-packed edition of Food First Michigan with Scott Piggott, the CEO of Michigan Farm Bureau, the organization that stands in the gap for our farmers all across the state. We have a lot to talk about with Scott, and we're going to get right to it. We'll be right back in just a minute. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Scott Piggott, the Chief Executive Officer for Michigan Farm Bureau, is in the studio, and our guest, Jerry, say good morning. Good morning, and uh, you know, you've been on the show a couple times. We're always glad to get the report. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we think about how the crops in Michigan really affect food banking and food insecurity statewide, this is going to be a tough year. And uh, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, changes kind of going on, and we're eager to hear you talk about it. Well, first of all, uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, wonderful to spend time with you guys. Wonderful to spend time with folks who care about our, our people in Michigan so much that they're willing to put their careers in a place where they can help get food where it needs to go. Um, we are so blessed in agriculture to have a, a very diverse agriculture in Michigan that helps to provide food directly to people, fruits, mm-hmm. vegetables, um, you know, the grains that we raise um, help to feed livestock. And no matter, no matter what, um, I think agriculture touches the food spectrum in our state and eventually touches those folks who you support every day. So before I begin, just thank you for doing what you do. Well, we um, appreciate that, Scott. Well, we saw we often say here on the show and as well as in our other opportunities to speak about this issue of food security that solving hunger starts in the field. Mm-hmm. And nobody represents the farmers of Michigan like Michigan Farm Bureau and Scott Piggott. Oh, so. Very kind. It's a, and I'm blessed to work for them. Uh, it humbles me every day to, to work with our member leaders throughout our organization. Uh, we're celebrating 100 years this year, so, right. so we're having a, a big centennial shindig for some folks next week. And I would not have thought in a million years that we would have some farmers saying, I can't come because I'm still planting. Uh, oh, boy. We've had wow. a weird, weird spring. Uh, we've had a lot of rain. We've had a lot of, uh, in short, small windows to be able to get in and be able to plant crop. Uh, we're behind as mm-hmm. a state, substantially. Uh, I mentioned uh, before we started here that I, I'd like to have done this interview from a tractor seat. Right. Uh, I am blessed with spending time on my family's farm. I'll take, I take vacation days to do it. And uh, today we'll be, we'll be doing our best to try to get some soybeans in the ground and to finish planting corn. Uh, both things really tough this year. Hmm. So not, you know, our farmers uh, fight through challenges. We've, you know, we've done this for a couple centuries and we know how to, we know how to get crops in the ground. We know how to get them out. Uh, everything uh, that presents a challenge is also an opportunity and we take advantage of those. But a weird year for us and it's going to have ripple effects uh, across the food spectrum. Uh, for those listening, uh, we're one of the top states in the country in air- asparagus production. Well, we've had a really cool, wet spring that we're going to have a short asparagus crop. Right. So when you get into those stores and you see Michigan asparagus, I hope you take advantage of it. And I hope to spend to send as much as we can to those folks that um, really need fresh foods, uh, right. fresh fruits and vegetables out in the countryside. So um, a difficult year for Michigan agriculture, not that any of them are a cakewalk. 
but uh, a really challenging one from a, a springtime that really has the Midwest of our of our nation fighting to be able to get uh, crops in the ground to be able to provide the food that everybody needs. And we know corn is a really important crop for a lot of farmers. And of course, when the ground is this wet, you can't get it in. So how many weeks do you have to plan ahead? I mean, where, where what do you have to sort of say, okay, we need at least this much time from seed to harvest? Yeah, it, it's really based in temperature. So when you think about, about corn and, it's, and you put a seed in the ground, uh, you, you have to think about it like um, almost like a, a mother hen uh, with her eggs. Uh, an egg needs so much warmth and so much contact uh, from a mom to be able to hatch. A seed needs the same thing inside the ground, as you know. Uh, you got to have the soil tight against that seed, and the ground needs to be so warm just to make this, the seed germinate. From that point on, the governance of our plants is really through temperature. So you got to have what we call degree days. You got to have X amount of time at a certain temperature. And to your point, Jerry, that's the squeeze point. If you don't get your your corn in the in the ground in a way that that you you wrap that soil around it in a warm way that brings it the nutrients, the air, and the and the water that it needs, it needs about a hundred total days above a certain wow. temperature to be able to develop and to complete itself. And the later you put a, a crop in the ground, the more likely, the more risk you take that. A frost may come early and mm-hmm. and burn that crop before it gets the chance to mature. And at that point, you really are limited on what you can do with that crop. So it really is kind of a pinch point right now. Um, my heart goes out to so many of our, our farmer members who don't have a seed in the ground yet. That And, and that has its ripple because many of those folks work with other farmers on providing seed, providing fertilizers, and they're not using those things so, in many cases, uh, a real pinch point for a lot of our growers. And for the Michigan economy. Sure. Because, you know, sure. when, when you, these ripple effects and really getting back to, you know, the dynamics even of food insecurity, you know, it, there's a whole ecosystem around farming in Michigan, right? Our economy depends so much on agriculture in so many ways. And, of course, the food in the field is part of it. But as you were just saying, the fertilizer sales, people mm-hmm. that are repairing equipment, people that are, are you know, even doing some of the smaller things you don't think about every day that need to be done on the farm. And so those people are having less hours of work. And that has a ripple effect on our network. So you you start to see um, how, for many reasons, the people we serve are really reacting to situations that are happening in their life, and that's why we're there for them, because they're people that want to work and that do work, and uh, and then things like this happen, and all of a sudden they go, my gosh, I, I need help. I never thought I would need help. Yeah. The rural economies, agriculture in the rural economies is very important in Michigan. And food insecurity doesn't know uh, if, uh, municipal centers versus the rural areas. Right. I've, I've learned so much from from Dr. Knight over the years to help me understand um, the food insecurity. And I and I talk to our folks, our farmers that work um, out in rural areas. That food insecurity is is a tough thing. A lot of a lot of students in in schools um, that the best meal they get is at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they struggle to get one when they get home. If, if you don't have a, a strong agriculture and rural economies, then it, it flows into the strength of schools. It flows into local banks, um, a lot of local jobs, the availability of, of fresh, uh, fresh produce at the local level. Mm-hmm. Um, the impacts, uh, as you said, Jerry, they ripple. 
He's Scott Pickett. He's the chief executive officer for the Michigan Farm Bureau, which is one of the most unique organizations in the state because Michigan Farm Bureau is a nonprofit that has several companies inside of it, which you lead. And then you have this little thing called an, an insurance company, Michigan we do. Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, who uh, happens to be, of course, our sponsor for this show. And so we're thankful for all of it. But the board of directors over both the insurance company and Michigan Farm Bureau are essentially the same. They're always farmers. Right. The, the president of, of the family of companies, our insurance affiliate, which farmers came into the boardroom in 1948, you know, 30 years into our into our beginnings, and said we need an insurance company that serves farmers and serves the people of Michigan in the same way that farmers work. So, uh, yeah, it's always uh, full-time farmers on our board of directors for the in, all of the companies, fantastic business people, very uh, very caring, thoughtful people who want to make sure that we protect the citizens of Michigan from the risks of everyday life through a great insurance, but also um, helping to create great, um, obviously, the parent company, making sure that food's on the table. Right. So some of those things that you and I, we share a CEO circle together. In fact, you were my sponsor for (laughs) Leadership Anonymous there is what I kind of call it. Um, and, um, And, you know, it's a great group of association leaders that that we get together and um so i just have to say scott that when when we're in those meetings and you begin to describe some of the activities that's going on at michigan farm bureau i think just about all of us our jaw drops onto the table because it is you know as jerry said the the expanse of agriculture and its impact on everyday life in michigan is so critical to the quality of life of people when I think about our farmers and the and the things that they do and the people that they reach, they don't get to meet them all. Uh, the commodity market's many times a faceless market. But the more time we spend in farm markets, the more time that we spend in schools, uh, we do a lot of outreach, as you know, in mm-hmm. schools. We, we built a, a second mobile science lab this year. Right. Um, we reached. I want to uh, get an update on those, too. Uh, I've got some good numbers for you. i got a new <laughs> brochure for you. The new mobile science lab's going to get right. uh, introduced here in a couple weeks. Awesome. Um, and if you just, when I think about the total impact we've had, we've reached over four, almost 14,000 students. Right. That have been inside of our lab to understand the value of agriculture. We've reached over 1,200 teachers. And uh, to me, teachers are superheroes that we should wrap ourselves around. We want to talk about the structure and the counties and Michigan Farm Bureau counties. We want to talk about the science lab and and everything that's going on with that. And uh, so much more. And we got this little topic called trade mitigation (laughs) food that we might want to cover as well. He's Scott Pigott. He's the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. All three of us will be back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, and our guest Scott Piggott, the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. And Scott, um, you brought us a brochure here about the science lab, and of course this is one of my favorite projects that Michigan Farm Bureau does. But I, I before we jump into that, it, I just think it illustrates the variety 
um, of the spectrum of influence that Michigan Farm Bureau has. But just you personally, I was sitting here writing down, so what are the top three things that I know that Scott does? So you're a CEO of a huge um, association. You're also a farmer. Mm-hmm. And you're an advocate because one of the last times you were on the show, we spoke to you from the halls of justice or halls <laughs> of uh, Congress in uh, Washington, D.C., where you were there lobbying on behalf of the interest of Michigan agriculture. So um, that's a pretty varied skill set there. And uh, so we're proud to have you on the show here in studio. Well, I'm grateful to be here and, and, and humbled. At the end of the day, um, we all hope to integrate our our work and our personal lives our faith uh whatever binds us together you hope to integrate it into one person so i work at it every day and i have great role models in helping me well you're you're doing it for sure and you left out the woodworking (laughs) i mean you know because he still has hobbies on top of all that yeah well i'm yeah (laughs) so i'm saving that one because i anyway but we'll get we're going to cover that tell us about the science lab so a couple years ago um some of our folks some of our farmers uh met with some other farmers out in pennsylvania and the pennsylvania farm bureau implemented a program where they created a farm science lab. Uh, the science lab uh, travels between schools, and in the Pennsylvania program, they they built to six of them, and they've reached wow. over one million students. Inside the farm science lab, imagine a great big like a semi trailer, and inside of it are ten different iPad stations, um, all of them linked together, linked to a, a large microscope. Uh, students that come in about 32 at a time uh, learn how to plant a seed, learn the, the value of, of how soybeans are used in crayons, uh, understand uh, DNA. We can un- unstrand DNA mm-hmm. uh, inside of the lab. And uh, teachers love it. It's like a field trip without having to go someplace. <laughs> so uh, we had such success with our first science lab that we modeled after the Pennsylvania program that we've, uh, we've built a second. We'll be unveiling it next Friday. Uh, at our at our centennial celebration that we're having at Farm Bureau, and uh, the science lab is booked at schools for the next year and a half, uh, both of them. We have teachers under contract that uh, are in the lab to be able to handle the sessions, and a fantastic opportunity for learning in any uh, rural urban setting. I, I've stood and I've watched those teachers who have the patience of Job. I don't uh, how you. How you keep kids all on the same focus for 20 minutes, I don't know. I was in the UP last year watching in Escanaba as the trailers made it through, the mobile science labs made it through the UP, and uh, one of our teachers has a, has a background in helping special needs students, and I have a special needs nephew I'm very proud of, and, and to have special needs students ages 25 down to 6, all in the lab at the same time, learning oh. the same lesson, um, when those kids, all the kids, when any school we stop at, I, uh, I firmly believe they know 99% more about farming and planting a seed than, uh, than almost anybody in the state. We're very right. proud of it. Want to see it grow. To be in front of that kind of curiosity, you know, a lot of our work is to help kids thrive. It really is true. And one of our Mm -hmm. biggest reasons to keep saying food first, folks, food first, is because it's so important for for kids to be nourished so that their brain activity is normal or better and their physical development is right. And and so uh, when you're in front of those kids and you can just see their brains firing off uh, from that new information and things they're learning and thinking about and you know you know some of those kids are going to become farmers some are going to become scientists some are going to become 
ecologists. I mean, you know, yeah, there'll still be a few economists too. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to see firsthand. Yeah. I well, wonder- it's pretty cool to see this happen. I've seen it happen, and. For the kids to go, oh, wait, the food doesn't come from the grocery store? <laughs> or a or box. The, or, or the corner market yeah. or whatever. You know, they say, oh, wow, it comes from the field. And it's just like revelation. Yeah. You know, and it's really cool to see. I would say revelation and and your point, curiosity. And to watch, uh, I, I, I said it in the last segment, a great teacher to me is a superhero. And I, I, the, some of the most valued people in our society, to watch some of the passion of our teachers as they try to extend anything to our students, and to watch that light bulb go on when they know how to trip that trigger in their head of of what makes them passionate, of what makes them want to learn, um, it truly is special. And to witness it, mm. I've only been in the science lab when they've been teaching lessons a couple times. I don't like to get in the way of folks doing their work. It's pretty amazing, and uh, we have some very the future of Michigan, the future of our country is very bright because we got some great kids mm-hmm. that are learning some great things. And if if this mobile lab can add to that, then then it works out well. So you guys have, I organically but also purposely uh, developed the Michigan Farm Bureau, and you have representatives in counties. And mm-hmm. talk talk to us a little bit about the structure and what they're doing and how they're they're making a difference. Sure. The the organization truly is grassroots. Uh, as we talked about, all of our, our leaders, our, our board members, uh, our president, are full-time farmers. But we also have a grassroots structure. We mm-hmm. have 65 county farm bureaus across the state that have uh, their own uh, farmer boards with farmer presidents. The or- our organization is intended to work from the grassroots up, and it truly does. Uh, we work very closely with our counties on a regular. They're, they're independent. They do great work out in the countryside. Uh, I, I was recently uh, the Wayne County Farm Bureau is doing some work in Detroit, uh, mm-hmm. planting trees. Right. We've got uh, county farm bureaus in the Upper Peninsula who are continuing to to grow an understanding of farm safety, um, farm stress, farm safety. It's on the front of our minds, and we we try to help our folks because they're uncertain times, and we want to make sure that our farmers are are well uh, Mm -hmm. while they're making the things that people need. So you need to have a grassroots structure. Otherwise, you don't understand who you serve. Our purpose at Farm Bureau is to serve farmers. Uh, We're blessed with having affiliates that do great work in in protecting people. Uh, But our primary purpose and our focus is strong. Uh, Farmers are our leaders, and that's, that's what we do. We do it better than anybody else. I believe that. And, you know, the other thing that, that occurs to me, and besides being an advocate and a farmer, and Jerry kind of um, stole my thunder here a little bit ago, is um, every year at the uh, at the Farm Bureau Conference, um, at, and I think, it's, is it always held at, in Grand Rapids? We've been to different places. We were in Detroit in our past. We've been up to Grand Traverse, but it's a large group that it can only fit so many places. Right. So the, the years I've been have been the last three, and it's been in Grand Rapids, and I am the proud owner of three <laughs> Scott Piggott Originals. So tell the folks what that means and what that, how that, just tell them about that, how that uh, product is, is benefits for the agriculture. Sure. A, a little, a little history. Um, uh, my daughter is, uh, got accepted and we're going to be moving her to North Dakota for a PhD program in clinical psych. And she wrote a, a paper about inter, being an introvert or an extrovert. So as we're driving one day, she said, dad, you know, you're an introvert. And my wife begged to differ. She said, Scott, you can talk to thousands. Uh, yep. 
Yeah. And Danielle pushed the point, my daughter. And finally, I said, "Hun, think of it this way. When am I happiest if I'm not with you or the kids? Well, you're in the wood shop or you're on the farm or you're in the wood lot. Perfect. What do all three of those have in common? <laughs> I enjoy the solitude of my wood shop. Uh, we cut down our own trees on the farm, uh, dry my own wood, shape it. And for the last, uh, actually, six, seven years now, I enjoy building six, seven different. Um, every year I make a thing for uh, our auction. Um, I'm very proud, and I, this isn't uh, crowing too hard. We've raised tens of thousands of dollars through generous donations of people who pur- purchased miniature combines, miniature trucks made out of oak and walnut that came from our farm. And it, uh, it takes the knots out of my neck, makes money for the foundation, and uh, and helps me to have a little quiet time in my wood shop. So. And, and this past year was a Model T yeah. that commemorated the, because uh, you're celebrating the 100th year anniversary of Michigan Farm Bureau, and the uh, tag says uh, MFB, is it 100? 100. Yeah. Right? We, uh, we constantly remind folks that, uh, that Mr. Ford was a farmer. I had a farm uh, just on what was the north side of Detroit at the time. And uh, the Ford family have sponsored so many wonderful agricultural uh, projects through the years. Uh, so we thought it only fitting to commemorate that with uh, a 1919, uh, the year of our founding, Model T. Um, the fi- one of the founding issues of, of Michigan Farm Bureau, farmers got together and said, we have to do something about roads and, uh, and taxes. And amazing how things change and don't. So we, uh, we were one of the lead advocates for a gas tax um, because roads were based on property tax at the time. And new cars were really rutting the heck out of the roads. So uh, that's where the fuel tax came from. And uh, boy, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Wow. So just on my, that Model T, I might say it says MFB 100. And, and, um, and when I first read it, I went, wow, that was really nice of Scott to put Michigan Food Bank. <laughs> Not that I'm narcissistic or anything, thinks it's all about us. But no, Michigan Farm Bureau, he's Scott Piggott. He is the CEO of Michigan Farm Bureau. We're going to take a quick break. Jerry and I will be back with Scott in just a moment for one more segment, and we have to cover a little bit about trade mitigation, guys. We'll be back in just a minute. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and Scott Piggott, our CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau, uh, friend and colleague, partner in this great work of uh, creating a food-secure Michigan. Scott, um, speaking about food, we got a lot of it coming in through trade mitigation, and um, how, how, what is the, we understand the bit of the effect on us, mm-hmm. um, particularly with uh with uh, fresh produce and fluid milk and what the impact it is on our network and how we're growing and learning because of this great uh, influx of food. What's the impact here in Michigan on the agricultural level? I guess, first of all, uh, I am blessed with having uh, wonderful folks on our staff who have been right at the, the meat of this conversation. Um, I can speak to it as, as a person who, who helps them to I guess just uh, better understand the impacts on our members. When you think about a a, a tariff of 25% uh, of soybeans going into a country, 
and you produce a lot of soybeans in your in your state and in your country, mm-hmm. uh, it has a ripple effect. There are a lot of folks who it makes you change what you think about what you're going to plant. Um, there's nobody. Our farmers don't like um, assistance programs, for lack of a better term. Right. They'd like to compete in an open market. Uh, they'd like to be able to have what their crop is worth, mm-hmm. rather than having uh, a system that supplements that. And we recognize that there are actions that happen that affect us that. If we want farms in the future, you have to have a safety net. Sure. So, tremendous advocates for for crop insurance. Uh, This trade mitigation program has helped some of our farmers through a very tough time to be able to continue to grow crops. I would say that if I were uh, reflecting on uh, our policy developed by our farmers at at the state and the national scale, we want to see fair trade across our world. We want to be sure. able to know that um, that when we trade something with another country, that that we're not doing something in a deficit. I, and I don't know ideologically ideologically about how it's happened with the trade wars that have trade wars, if you want to call them that, or just the the tariff packages that have gone into place. Mm-hmm. In my heart of hearts, do I think something needed to happen, something needed to change, rather than continuing to put our country and our farmers at a at a trade deficit, at an economic disadvantage? Yes. Our president at the national scale, Zippy Duvall, from the American Farm Bureau Federation, has been very clear with the administration that we want to we want to stand behind uh, fair trade, getting getting good prices all over this world, but we also understand that we can't sustain um, more of, of what we've had to deal with. So trade mitigation pra- packages, um, the, the first one that came through was, was helpful to those farms that are getting some of, some of the lowest prices in, in over two decades. Right. Um, so it helped them to be able to, because our seed cost didn't go down, right. our ability to, to manage a farm didn't go down, the, the prices of, of equipment, uh, you got to have, you got to have you got to have tractors. You, you got to have equipment that's in working condition to be able to go out in between rainstorms and get a crop in or get it out. You have to have money to be able to do that. And if we want a successful agriculture, uh, then you need to have that safety net put in place. It's meant quite a bit. There's a second package that's been announced that's going to be more of a, an acre-based, and farms are going to have to make choices to right. figure out if they want to participate with that. Um, but it's been a rough year. Uh, exacerbated by low crop prices caused mm-hmm. by a lot of factors, including trade issues. Right. And uh, a package for some of our folks, it may be enough to get them through to the next season. Right. Jerry, thoughts? You know, as we try to forecast um, what we're going to be able to provide to our network, um, these are the issues that we're looking at. And I know when people think about food banking, just like when they think about farming, they often simplify in their mind what you really have to do to be a good food banker. You know, well, you just get the food in and out, and, you know, that's all you have to do. <laughs> but, of course, there's a lot more to it. And why this conversation is so important to us is because our goal is that our our network has a steady access to the foods that people want and need, right? We don't like to see peaks and valleys because we have literally hundreds of thousands of people that depend on us. Uh, Every year, just gleaners alone reaches 430,000 unique individuals, and they need food every week, every month, you know? So when you have big peaks and valleys, that's a big 
challenge for families who sure. are, you know, using this to try to thrive in their life and, and, and become successful and not need help. And as you said about farmers, it's true of our families. Most of them would much rather have a job that pays enough and allows them to buy the food they want and not have to, you know, utilize the pantry network. And yet um, the pantry network does become important to them from time to time. So as you're talking about the decisions farmers have to make, of course, we're talking with farmers as well to understand those decisions so we can say, well, what do we think we can expect harvest time? And how do we make sure, and harvest time doesn't just affect, you know, October or September, October, November. Whatever gets harvested at September, October, November is what we have for the rest of the year, too. So we're looking at potatoes and apples and and uh, onions and, you know, a lot of things that people don't necessarily think about as being affected by all this rain, but everything is really affected by the the weather and the temperature and some other things, too. So, um, so you know, my thoughts keep, as, as you're talking about how the government programs are helping the farmers so they can, you know, come back next year when things are a little bit better, um, that, of course, it's it's government assistance that really helps our community in so many ways get through these tough times, and that exactly relates to what we do. So it's a re- it's a complex system that we're all working within to make sure that everyone has what they need to be successful. And while we can't guarantee success for everyone that comes through our network, we can certainly guarantee hardship if our network isn't here to help. Farmers make decisions. Um, based on the moment that they're in, you're standing in a, in a, on a field today and you're judging whether or not you're going to plant corn on it because it's wet and you need to wait a little while longer for soybeans. They're making a decision that is going to impact you down the way. They're making a decision of whether or not they want to invest in a greenhouse to be able to create products in, a, in an environment where they can control it rather than just dealing with what God sends to you. Um, the decisions that they're making are, are difficult, long-term decisions that have long-term effects on you, and they make them quickly because they'd have to. That's the choices that they make. So, and it's a difficult, for that reason, as I mentioned, we're concerned about stress. We all should be. We should be concerned sure. about the investment that we're making in mental health across our state, whether it's whether it's our folks who are making some tough decisions on the future of a business that may have been in the family for a very long time, or the mental health struggles that come along with someone not having enough food in the fridge to eat. Um, it's, a, it's right at the front of our minds in a very difficult time. And uh, our hope is, uh, and, and we will, we always have, uh, provide product to the citizens of our state and the citizens of our world. Um, we're just a little challenged more so, I, I think, this year than in other times. Our hope is that we uh, that we complete some trade agreements. We'd love to see a, a trade agreement with China. We'd love to see we uh, our farmers have spoke loudly that they would like to see the U.S. Uh, Canada Mexico agreement move forward. Uh, we have we have we started a, a company a couple of years ago to be able to assist our farmers get more labor on their farms. And uh, we, we notice those jobs in, in local newspapers all the time. And eventually we've brought workers from other countries uh, far away as South Africa to be able to help on farms at times when they need it. Um, this, this year's challenging that also. Mm. So whether it's labor or the weather, um, the decisions that need to be made quickly that have strong economic consequences on a farm that's been around for a long time, um, a lot of stress on our farmers' minds, and it puts it to the front of ours. How do we uh, how do we help them to be successful? Because, as I stated, our purpose is to serve them. Well, there's lots to be concerned about, 
But I'll tell you what I'm encouraged about, and that's you. You and your leadership, <laughs> your team, and um, and how you stand in the gap on behalf of those farmers, agricultures who are facing these emotional, mental, and tough business decisions with a lot of different factors and trying to weigh all that in, I can't imagine. But I'm glad that they have you as a leader and uh, and you have them, and together y'all continue to stand in the gap for those of us in the state that are serving those who need help. They got a little bit more month than they do money, mm-hmm. and uh, we're here, all of us together, to take hunger off the table. It's very kind. My, uh, my wife has asked me over the years, I've been blessed with working for Farm Bureau for almost 20 years, and uh, it's just like being part of a large family. When I go out in the countryside, I, I pretty much know that if I get a flat someplace, I, there's someone not that far away with a tractor. Right. And uh, <laughs> she's asked me, how do you go to, how do you go to all these night meetings? Because our, our farmers have to meet at night. Mm-hmm. They're working all day. And if you want them to get together, you got to meet them on their terms. So you travel across the state and you, you try to have some pizza waiting for them when they, when they can take a break and, and wash their hands and eat with you or go to a county annual meeting. I told her it's, farmers are the best people in the world they treat you like their own and uh boy they stand up and i'm very proud of the people that i serve they uh they stand up when things are really hard and they uh they take the extra effort to lead that's not innate to everybody so we're blessed with some fantastic leaders and we're going to be here for the next hundred years well we've got some things to talk about off air sure in the in the future and we're excited we've been reporting that Food insecurity is trending in the right direction. There's less people in the state of Michigan who are food insecure now than what there were five years ago. We think there's a lot of factors involved in that, but one of them is the partnership that we have with Michigan Farm Bureau. And um, we've got a little bit of work to do on childhood food insecurity. We haven't moved that needle, but we know that that's in your heart Mm -hmm. from our conversations. And so we're going to continue that conversation and put a plan together. He's Scott Pickett. He is the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. He's our friend, our partner. Scott, thanks for being in the studio today. Thanks for the time. Jerry and I will be back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Jerry, that was Scott Piggott, and uh, man, what a guy with a wealth of information. You know, the other thing that you don't know unless you're in the studio is that Scott had a whole nother show going in between segments. I mean, he's so smart, and he knows so many things, and and he's so dedicated to this work, and it's part of the reason why we want to bring people like Scott to this audience because he's important to listen to. We're going to have some interesting challenges this year when we look at what's happening with the weather and farms and and getting crops. And in fact, we know coming up, we're going to have another show dedicated solely to what's happening on the farms because it's so important to our work in food banking, but to all of us here in Michigan. So Scott, Scott's so capable and, and a farmer himself. I mean, it was really great talking to him. Yeah, he, well, I mean, I don't know of any organization. Um, Michigan Farm Bureau is, first off, is huge. I mean, even the, the nonprofit has like eight different companies <laughs> inside the nonprofit. And then there's the Farm Bureau, Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan side, which is totally separate. And of course, is the sponsor of our show. But yet they work hand in glove together to really, as I said, stand in the gap for agriculture and the needs of farmers 
And uh, I just don't know anybody who understands it more and does it better. And Michigan produces an awful lot of food right from farms. I mean, we're one of the most diverse agricultural states in the country, and we continue to provide a lot of what everyone anywhere is eating today. So really important conversation. Again, we're going to talk more about farms coming up. Uh, So, you know, stay tuned. There's a lot of information on the way as we stay on top of what this uh, is going to mean for us here in Michigan. Well, uh, I was at a conference the other day with uh, the new MDARD, Michigan Department of um, Agriculture and Rural Development, Gary McDowell, and uh, he's going to be a guest on an upcoming show when we're talking about all this rain and crops in the field and our lack of crops in the field and what that means to us. But he shared a stat that you just mentioned. Let me give it to you. Michigan's food and agricultural sector contributes $104.7 billion to the state's economy annually. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so important to us, and we know it. And, of course, there's a direct link to food banking because a lot of the food we distribute is healthy, nutritious food from Michigan farms. Well, it is. We distributed 205 million pounds of food through our Food Bank Council network. That's all seven of the Feeding America food banks. And uh, over 80 million pounds of that was fresh, nutritious produce right here from Michigan. So we make a great point, and um, we're going to have a great show with Gary McDowell and a, and a farmer here uh, in next week's show, so we'll look forward to that. So it's time for just a little food for thought. I'm encouraged because there are great people in this world who care about more than themselves and believe in things that last. Scott Piggott sets the pace on leadership for agriculture in our state, and I'm glad he's our friend, colleague, partner, and is with us to help build a movement to ensure that Michigan becomes a food-first state. Thanks for listening, and remember, until next week, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.